Do you want to go down to a 40-hour week without losing revenue? If you're ready to let go of all the extra hours, the stress, the overwhelm, and the clients who hijack your time, consider my signature program, Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind. In it, we'll get your accounting practice under control. We'll fix your pricing problems. I'll show you ways to price so you stop giving away the farm so you bring in more revenue for the work you're already doing. I'll help you disengage the clients who are good people but are holding your business back and slowing you down. I'll help you package up your services and design them so they're easy for your clients to understand and choose from while helping you simplify and standardize what you sell. And we'll focus on making your messaging more interesting and compelling so you attract more of the kinds of clients you want to work with and break out of the hodgepodge of referrals trap. We get your prices up, we get your workload down. We standardize, we simplify, we streamline. And we do this at a pace that feels doable, where you feel confident in every choice you make. Prices up, workload down. Registration is open now. We start Tuesday, May 7th. Come with us. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to find out more. I mean, think of an assembly line, like a Mercedes assembly line. If something way at the beginning of the assembly line is screwed up, it's going to have massive expensive effects all the way down the assembly line, all the way into the market of recalls and lawsuits. So if you get way upstream, way at the beginning of the assembly line, and you fix the underlying problem, it's going to have massive downstream, no matter the size of the business, it's going to have huge downstream effects. But if the business is really big, $10,000 is nothing. Welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Today, my guest is Jonathan Stark. Jonathan is a former software developer who is on a mission to rid the world of hourly billing. He's the author of Hourly Billing is Nuts, the host of two podcasts, Ditching Hourly and the Business of Authority, and writes a daily newsletter on pricing for independent professionals. Jonathan, welcome back to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. A couple of things before we dig in for listeners. After you listen to this episode, be sure to catch our two other episodes, numbers 106 and 111, which of course makes this recording a hat trick. Nicely done. <laughs> is it a record? Am I the, yeah, am it I is. The You're the first. Repeat? Yes. That's why I have my hat on. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, and the second piece for listeners is that Jonathan is my business coach and we've been working together one-on-one for about nine months. And I feel as lucky as the Grateful Dead fan who got to see them play live at Barton Hall in 77. I don't know <laughs> what lucky conspiration of a of events got me here. But anyways, my business takes longer strides faster because of working with you. So thank you. Oh, thanks. Good to know. So we want to get your, that was your opportunity to tell everybody how great a student I, I am. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, star student. No lie, seriously. Yes, right. Three stars, gold. Exactly. <laughs> so we want to get to what you call altitudes of involvement. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about this concept because what I see happening for CPAs is that they know how to price or bill for delivery. But often they don't know how to price for expertise and strategy, and they just lump the advice into the delivery. And sometimes they even give it away for free, or they'll give away really valuable advice away for the same price of $2.25 an hour. But the advice and the expertise and the planning is so much more valuable than the setup, the implementation. And what I want listeners to get from this episode is an appreciation of how to separate out 
the advice and the strategy from the delivery and price it accordingly. Mm, yep. So help listeners understand what's going on here with what you call altitudes of involvement. Okay. So uh, I'm from the software space, like you mentioned, and there are these three altitudes that, for lack of a better term, that I've noticed people, uh, software developers engaging with their clients. And just like you said, uh, with CPAs, software developers do this same thing where uh, over time they start to get kind of good. They sort of know what they're doing. They probably bill by the hour and they start to give advice. They start to advise the client in the course of doing their execution work. So maybe they're building a website, a WordPress site, um, a Rails app, an iOS app, something like that. And when they're sort of newer, the client will come along and say, hey, we want this app that has these features and does this and that and the other and has these bells and whistles. Can you do that? And the developer who's still really excited about the superpower that they've maybe learned in school or at a boot camp, and they're they're still really excited about the craft. They're like, yeah, I can do that. That Yeah, I would love to do that. I've never done that before. So they, they get excited about the craft of what they're doing, and they let the client tell them what to do. Over the years, maybe a year or two, three years in, they start to realize that clients don't really know what to tell them to do and often tell them the wrong things to do because now they've got this experience where they built all these features that were requested for this app that or this website that was supposed to do something. It was supposed to do something for their business. It wasn't an art piece. It wasn't something just for fun. And over time, they end up in these conversations after they've done what the client told them to do, where the client is dissatisfied and tells them, try something else, do this, or we're running out of money, all of these uncomfortable situations. And as these experiences accumulate, the developer starts to think, well, maybe I shouldn't just let the client tell me what to do. Maybe I should either push back or start with some kind of uh, advisory Situ- you know, some sort of stage where we really think a little bit more big picture about what the ultimate goal is down the line so that if they tell me to do something that is out of alignment with this thing that they ultimately want, then I can say, well, I don't think that's going to contribute to your end goal. So let's try something different. And this happens slowly. So it's not like one day they wake up and realize that they have bigger picture strategic skills or architectural skills. They just sort of keep doing it by the hour. And it's it's almost like a self-preservation activity because they don't like those uncomfortable conversations later when they've done everything that the client told them to do and it didn't work out well for the client. And sure, the developer got paid, but, but they want to satisfy the customer. They want the customer's businesses to be better off. So it comes from this place of altruism, really. So usually what happens is as they do more and more of this just call it advisory work before the work work and the planning and the pushback and all of that. Uh, they don't, they just don't think like, Oh, I'll just, I'll price this separately. Or they don't think, um, geez, this is way more valuable than the coding. Maybe I should charge a different hourly rate, or maybe I should completely change the way I built for these things. And, uh, yeah, so that's, so what happens is they kind of ooze their way into this higher level, strategic or advisory engagement with clients, but they don't do anything to change the way that they are compensated for that. So what happens next then? They realize they have a problem. Something isn't right. They're working with a client. The client's not getting the business results that they hope for because the client's not the expert. They don't really know what to ask for. 
they, they might have an idea, but it may or may not be on target in terms of getting the ultimate goal. So when they realize this or when they start to go, when they start to question, go, wait a minute, this isn't quite working as I as well as I want it to. What are the symptoms or what do they do from there? Yeah. So the symptoms first are that uh, they'll have situations where the client will be like, well, why did you bill me for that conversation we had? I thought we were just having a conversation. And, and so there, there are, you know, not all clients will do that, but some clients will be like, well, you weren't coding is just a, sort of a cost of doing business. You have to ask me and talk to me about what, you know, why am I getting charged for meetings? I'm paying you to build things. And shouldn't you just, shouldn't meetings be thrown in for free because you're not writing any code? So that's sort of a warning sign. And that, that will usually tick people off. That'll, that'll tick off the developer because they're like, wow, okay, so you expect me to give away this much, much more important thing that, that less experienced developers cannot do. You expect me to do that for free? Oh, okay, that's interesting. So that's one symptom where they start to get their, get a little salty about clients asking for the, actually the more valuable stuff and the higher level experience stuff for free. Another, and if that doesn't happen, Another thing that can happen is that the client will come along and say, we want all of these features. And the developer is like, well, you know, and, they, and they're sort of experienced and they do this kind of strategic first phase where they really think through the desired outcome and they, uh, you know, they come up with a better plan. Basically, they come up with a plan that's much better and smaller. So they end up talking themselves out of hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially because they're better at what they do. So then it's like, well, wait a second. You know, it's this weird, it's this conundrum because like they do, they have the experience of disappoint of the client being disappointed after 12 months of $200 an hour software development. And they don't like that. But now they have this experience where, you know, in a sales meeting or in a kickoff meeting, they talk for two hours and they turn what would have been a 12-month project built out hourly at $200 an hour into a three-month project. So now their expertise has, you know, cut their revenue in a third or a quarter. So like, well, wait a second. <laughs> the better I get, the less I make, you know? So it, it, these, are, these are two big symptoms of, of the problem. And what the problem is fundamentally is that, that you shouldn't be billing by the hour, first of all. And if you, and here's the crazy thing, if you are billing by the hour, it won't occur to you or it won't be as obvious to you to charge separately for the strategy stuff or in a different way for the strategy stuff, because you're just used to trading time for money, but you're starting to feel the friction or the, the mismatch between selling advisory, strategic, high level, very valuable services that have massive downstream effects. You're starting to feel the friction between that and trading time for money because now you need to sell your expertise not your time your brains not your hands as i like to say yeah and so this is great i just had this conversation with a client yesterday who and this happens multiple times right using saturday to clean out their email inbox and answering super valuable questions like what's the capital gains exposure on you know the sale of the stock that potentially saves tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're like i just did two and a half hours of answering email work and i have no way like it was super valuable and yet i'm not going to bill for any of it Right. So they're sort of in this conundrum where they're like, God, if I do a better job by reducing the scope of the project and get better results for my clients by cutting it in a quarter down to three months, I end up shooting myself in the foot for a faster delivery that I charge less for. So now my brain is broken. Now what? So you really need to question the hourly thing. But I know that we've talked about that before. So let's not go into, unless you want, I mean, to go into depth on that, but, but you really need to 
question the trading time for money thing in the first place. But the point of today's conversation, which I think is maybe a little bit more esoteric, but no less important, is that you need to view different potential activities that you could engage in. In I usually break it into three categories. There are probably more. It's more of a spectrum. If you think of the three levels that you have engaged, probably engaged with your clients over the years, uh, certainly in software, there are three basic levels. And if we start from the bottom, the sort of lowest value level, the most commoditized level, uh, in, in the software space, it's usually called like support and maintenance, support and maintenance, support or maintenance, something like that. Um, it could be customer support where you're on a help desk for QuickBooks Online and you're just helping maintain a status quo that you exist within. In a, I love construction metaphors too. If this is like, you know, an office building, this is like the, the sort of maintenance janitorial work, you know, you got to mop the floors. You know, if the roof is leaking, you have to fix it. If the toilets need to be cleaned, somebody has to do it. It's this daily ongoing stuff that lots, lots and lots of different people could do. It's not a, you know, not that there's no expertise in this space, but it's not super high value. It's not the kind of stuff that people are excited to spend money on. Um, it's really just maintaining a status quo so that your investment in the, in the, the building isn't degrading over time. Uh, okay, so that's uh, just call that. Let's just call that maintenance. Yeah, and I think in the accounting world, we can kind of call that like junior accounting. I take your word for it. <laughs> Probably yeah. that sounds right. I don't know what the duties of a junior accountant. Are, it's but something yeah. basic, like your regular monthly accounting. That you know, all the transactions need to get downloaded. They need to get categorized. We need to produce the P and L and the balance sheet. We need to email them to the client. Ex yes, yes, yes. It happens every month, boom, like boom, clockwork. Boom, boom. And the client could do it themselves if they wanted to. Yeah, they'd make a mess of it, but they sort of could in theory. Yeah, I mean, theory. I mean. I, I used to do my own books. It was a mistake because I wouldn't keep up with it, but I could do it. <laughs> you know, it's not, it wasn't rocket science for me. I have a simple business. It wasn't rocket science for me, but I don't want to do it. It's a task. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and it, and it is better done by someone who doesn't despise it. Like, you know, I, it's not my favorite thing. So it's better done by someone who doesn't mind it. Right. Um, but that, I would call that like the maintenance level. And that is another way to think of that is maintaining the status quo. A level up from that is, uh, you could call it, I usually call it building or execution or implementation or development. It depends on the, the vertical that we're talking about. With soft, software, it would usually be called development. Um, with creatives, it's usually called execution. So if you do like design execution, but this is the, the level up from maintenance where you're executing a plan. You're executing against a strategy or a plan that's been handed to you or an architecture. You're not deciding what the plan is. You're coming in and you're, you're, it's usually some kind of a project. It usually has a beginning, a middle and an end. It's not ongoing maintenance work. It's usually an initiative that is, is trying to build a new status quo, not design the new status quo that's been handed to you from the level above. So in this case, you're what I would call a software developer or a software engineer in my world. You didn't design the thing that would be a software architect. Uh, you're just saying, somebody said, here's this list of tasks. We know that they are the right tasks because we talked to an expert. So please execute them for us. Just go build this thing. And that's a very lucrative level for probably, so probably everyone, probably everyone. So, but at least in software, I know for sure it's very, uh, when I say lucrative, I'm actually not sure if that's the right word. It's the highest revenue level because it's the most labor. 
So maintenance is very, not a lot of labor. It's a lot of little things done over time. This project level is very labor intensive. The client's usually involved. There are lots of meetings. Uh, there's a lot of hours put into it. So the revenues, the project prices, if you're, you're pricing these out, if you, whether you do it hourly or if you actually price it, the prices are very high at this level. The problem is the costs are also extremely high. Gotcha. So it's not very profitable. Okay, thank you for clarifying. Is there is there a, an analog in the accounting space? So the setup is the setup could be analog, right? So you know we take on this new client, we get them, we're going to set them up on all the tech platforms to get them set. You know QuickBooks, Bill.com, and Fathom, and you know all like the whole tech stack that is required to integrate the financial aspect of the business. But then we hand it right back to them, right? Hand it right back to the business if they have an internal bookkeeper. Or maybe it's a, if it's a physician's office, uh, an office manager who does the sort of daily bookkeeping. But we set it up, implement it for them, maybe give them some training on it, and then cut them loose to go do the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month. Yep. Yeah. So you hand the maintenance off to them. They handle the maintenance internally, and you do this sort of initial setup project. Mm-hmm. So yeah, okay. So that's comparable. Yeah. So in the building metaphor... This would be the general contractor that comes along and builds the building or builds the house. So they got a blueprint. They did not make the blueprint and they build the thing. And there's, you can just picture a job site. There are lots of expensive tools. There are lots of bodies. There are, you know, it's lots of people working, uh, lots of materials. It's very expensive. So it's, it's, it's to the client and to the, to the seller and the buyer. So this is a very expensive thing to do. So it's not that profitable. So it can eat up, you could eat up easily. Right, your margins go way down. Margins are way down. So there's there's a conversation to be had there about cash flow and, and if you have payroll and so forth. So you might want, some people just like this level. They, they like getting their hands dirty. They like the building. They don't want to be on the hook for architectural errors or planning errors. And they just like getting a blueprint, building the thing, and getting more and more efficient at building out blueprints that are handed to them. This is extremely common for this to be built hourly labor. And if and so the problem at this level is that you get better and better and better at delivering things more quickly, or you buy these really expensive tools that allowed you to dig a foundation in a day instead of a month of people with shovels. It's like, well, why did I spend $150,000 on a, on a backhoe when now I can only mill out, you know, 12 hours instead of 300. So, you know, you start to get into the, the hourly problems crop up here as well. But if you are giving fixed prices for projects and you are really good at what you do and you've invested in tools, whether that's, you know, for your people, it might be uh, macros or boilerplate or who knows what, you know, like uh, training, all, all these sorts of things so that you can deliver things in the least costly fashion imaginable. So the better you get, the lower your costs go. And then, you know, these prices become the, pr- the profit margins creep up, but it's a little bit more linear in terms of increase. Not, it's not totally linear, but it's, it's generally a little bit more linear. So that's the, that's the second level up. So the bottom level again is maintenance. The next level up is execution or what do you, it's like project execution. And at this level, you are creating the new status quo. The client wants to transform from an old way of being to a new way of being. And you are doing the build, you're building the bridge to get them from the old way to the new way. 
And this could be something like with one of your clients, it could be something like migrating off of an old system onto a new system. Uh, it could be all sorts of different things. So we've got the two lower altitudes, the troposphere and the stratosphere. So let's go to the exosphere where expertise is. <laughs> right. So this is where the where expertise really shines. Uh, it's the farthest, it's the highest level up altitude. In fact, let me stop, stop for a second. The reason I used altitude in the first place is because you can tell your altitude by who you're talking to. Hmm. So if you're working with, I used to work with, you know, when I was doing this kind of stuff, software consulting, I was working with Fortune 500 companies. If I'm dealing with the CEO of a Fortune 500 or someone in that person's orbit, uh, that's what I mean by altitude. I'm dealing with the company at a very high level organizationally. You would notice that if you're doing if you're doing uh, just build level, execution level stuff, the CEO maybe had some visibility into the project, but they're not regularly in contact with you. They're not in meetings. You know, they're they're going to get an update in six months. And at the lowest level support, you're not even dealing with a project contact. You're dealing with like customer support people and that kind of thing. So you can tell by who you're dealing with. You know, at, at least at a big company with a small company, it's probably just the owner. But, you know, at a big company, you can tell the level of your involvement, the altitude of your involvement by who you're talking to most frequently. Uh, anyway, that's where altitude came from. Gotcha. Okay. I think in most cases, listeners to this podcast will be dealing with the business owner. Right. So it's a little harder to, it's a real, little harder because you're shifting gears between modes. But I think that they have an internal sense of the level of conversation of when they're talking about strategy and when they're talking about yep. the implementation stuff. So keep going. Yeah. So at the highest level, what you're doing is designing the new status quo. So they're like, you know, we've got a vision. Maybe they don't even know what the vision is. Maybe they just know they're stuck. You know, so worst case scenario, they're like, I got to, you know, whatever, 500K in annual revenue. I'm working like a dog. I'm answering emails on a Saturday. Is this it? Is this all there is? I just do this until I retire. How could I even retire? I haven't built up any kind of annuity or any, like what? Yeah, they're just totally in stuck mode. So that that's probably the worst case scenario. And they just need, they need somebody to help them create a new vision. So that would be, you know, very high level thing to help them do. It's not easy. Or they have a vision. I know I want to get to that mountaintop over there from this mountaintop that I'm on over here, or maybe I'm on the top of a hill and I want to get to the top of that mountain, but I don't know how to get through the valley. I can see there's five ways to get through the valley. Maybe I go over the river. Maybe I build a bridge. Maybe I, you know, jump. I don't know, like, you know, whatever. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get there, but I do have a vision. So, okay. So, so you, if you're engaging in either of these ways, or it's either defining the vision and then helping them get there, or they have a vision and, and not helping them get there, but helping them see how to get there. Like, here's the strategy to get there. We're going to build a plane or we're going to walk. Two different approaches. That is this highest level thing. And once you clearly define with them, help them clearly define or even uncover their objective or vision or whatever, however you want to call it. Once that's clearly defined, you'd work with them to set up a strategy, not a plan yet, but a strategy as a high, it's a high level approach of how they're going to get from where they are to where they want to go. It's like a one or two sentence thing. It's not a giant punch list of, of instructions. Yeah. Okay. I was just going to ask, separate strategy from plan. Cause I think probably there's some conflation for people in their mind about the difference all the time. Yeah. All the time. Strategy is not a plan. A plan comes out of a strategy. 
So this is all about specificity. So an objective needs to be extremely clear, really clear. It, sh it should be like eight words maximum. This is what we want. We want to put men on the moon by the end of the year. Like really, that's a clear objective. It doesn't tell me the strategy. doesn't tell me any idea about what the big picture way that we're going to do this approach we're going to take to do this. So if we say, if we think of an objective, I hate to use military, but, but that's a really common one. If you need to take that hill, right? If you're a general and you need to take that hill from the enemy, you could decide to just do a full frontal assault on the hill in the morning. In the morning, we're going to do a full frontal assault. End of strategy. If, or the strategy could be, we're going to use guerrilla warfare in the middle of the night. We're going to sneak around and we're going to take them by surprise. So full frontal assault in the morning versus take them by surprise in the night. Imagine if they didn't decide which strategy they were going to use and they just said to everybody, go for it. <laughs> you can either do a full frontal assault or you can sneak up behind them or whatever. That would be, you know, and then people started making their own plans or the people farther up without having made a strategic decision, start making plans independently, it would be a disaster, right? So the once you have a strategy to achieve the objective, if take the hill is the objective, and the strategy is full frontal assault, now we can start planning. Planning is a list of tactics or steps that you're gonna make based on the strategy to achieve the objective. And if without a strategy, this is how it crops up in business life. Without a strategy, or even worse, without a clear objective, you don't know which tactics are good or bad. Should I crawl through the mud at midnight? Or should I get a good night's sleep and go screaming across the, the field at dawn? You don't know which one of the... Well, I'll, I'll go screaming across the field. I'm tired. I'm going to sleep all night and then scream across the field. If you don't have a strategy, you don't know which one of those things is aligned or misaligned. Or you know what I mean? You don't know which one is wrong. So how is this showing up in the business world in a sort of more practical sense? Well, Googling around and it's like, oh, I don't have enough leads. And then Googling around and seeing how to get more leads and like, okay, uh, I'm going to try social media ads. And then you do that for five days. Like, this isn't working. Okay, now I'm going to try starting a podcast. Oh, this isn't working. I tried it for two weeks. It should be working by now. Um, now I'm going to hire uh, I don't know, a salesperson. Now I'm going to go to um, meetups, chamber of commerce. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to network. I'm going to, you know, they try, they move one inch in every direction for an entire year and they get to the end of the year and they're nothing but tired. They haven't gotten anywhere. They don't even know what they were trying to do. They just know business isn't the way they want it, but they didn't set a clear objective. They definitely didn't pick a strategy. So they try all these things that seem to have worked for other people but they only have visibility into the tactics the other people did. They don't have visibility into the strategy of the, that the other person had selected and is adhering to. So it's just driving in circles instead of having a map and saying, okay, here's the route that we're going to take to get to LA from New York. Okay, great. So bring this back to how a person who's rising up in altitude and reaching expertise level and strategy level helps their client think about the strategy for their client. Right. Well, this is hard if you don't understand it yourself. So the first step is to like understand what strategy is before you try to sell it. So wrapping your head around these concepts is pretty important if you're going to like be able to distinguish between strategy and planning. 
but you know, there are plenty of good, there's a million good books about it. Uh, good strategy, bad strategy. I would recommend it's very dense, but it's good. Um, so once you have your head around what it is, even just for yourself, then you can engage with your clients at a high level. So when they say, Hey, we need you to migrate us from, I don't know, uh, QuickBooks to Gusto or something, instead of just saying, okay, I can do that, which is the builder level, the execution level, the middle level, you, you know, they've made a decision and you're assuming they have an objective and a strategy and this aligns with it. Instead of that, you'd say, why, why do you want to do that? And then work your way into their bigger objectives. Find out if they know what their objectives are, if they're clearly defined, find out if they have a strategy or if they're flailing. And this is like a knee jerk request that, you know, somebody's cousin Vinny told them might be a good idea. And help, you basically, you become a consultant for them. You push back and say, wait a second, uh, this doesn't make sense to me. Can you help, help me understand why you would do this? And if they can't help you understand, then I would say it almost becomes a responsibility for you to say, no, I'm not going to do this. So if you've been in business three, five, 10 years, and you know, this person's about to shoot themselves in the foot because they don't know what, even what they're trying to do. They're just spending money to, so that they can say they tried something and, oh no, it didn't work again. Then it's like, well, let's pump the brakes, step back. What are you trying to achieve? What's the strategy? And then we can view this tactic in light of the overall, you know, I don't want to say plan, but the overall context and decide if it still seems like a good idea. If we both agree, it still seems like a good idea. Then we can start talking about a price and you know, all of that. But you, when you find yourself at that stage that I described at the top, where the software developer starts to recognize that the, the client is really not the best person to tell them how to or what features to build, oftentimes, not always, oftentimes not the best person to be driving the process. You're, this will start to happen naturally. And again, the problem is you might just build by bill for it by the hour or not even bill for it at all by answering emails on a Saturday. Uh, instead, if you break out a discrete offering that you can point to and say, oh, you know, before we do this project, you need to go through my strategy workshop. We need to, we need to define this or we're, we will not take on the work unless this has been done. You could do it with someone else if you want. You don't have to do it with me, but until you have a clear objective and a strategy, I can't in good conscience take on this project work because I don't understand the new status quo that you're trying to build. It's not clear to me. The, the blueprint is blurry. You're just giving me a piece of a blueprint. I need the whole thing. I don't want to build a bridge to nowhere. Where this doesn't happen at the bottom level, the maintenance level, the status quo is obvious. Obviously, they need to type their numbers in. Obviously, they need to reconcile their books. All this, the, the support and the maintenance level is all obvious stuff that almost anybody could do. It's commoditized stuff down at the bottom. So you generally don't have to push back there. You might not want the work. It might be too low profit for you, and that's fine. You can find a partner that does that kind of work, or you can have them do it in-house. But this middle level, where a lot of money is spent and a lot of costs are incurred, you really, I, I personally don't want to take those kinds of projects on if I'm not reasonably confident that I'm, you know, building a bridge to somewhere and not a bridge to nowhere. Gotcha. Okay. So now that we've got the three levels pretty clearly and distinctly laid out, I want to get into some of the questions that prevent people from moving up in altitude. 
And one of them is what makes it hard for professionals to rise up, especially from the middle level to the strategy expertise level. I think there are two things that come to mind. The first is their business model doesn't support it because these strategy engagements aren't long, but they're high value. So you could, you know, make $10,000 in a day. And they're also, you know, so first of all, your business okay, model wait, might stop not, the bus because everybody's wondering, how do I make $10,000 in a day? If you're, it depends on the size of the company, but if you are going to fix a problem way upstream, that's going to save them two years of dorking around with Facebook ads, that's worth $10,000. Like for sure. They'll spend more than that on the ads that don't work. I mean, think of an assembly line, like a Mercedes assembly line. If something way at the beginning of the assembly line is screwed up, it's going to have massive expensive effects all the way down the assembly line, all the way into the market, into recalls and lawsuits, massive, massive downstream effects. So if you get way upstream, way at the beginning of the assembly line, and you fix the underlying problem, they don't have a clear objective. They don't have a strategy. If you can fix that, depending on the size of the business, it's going to have massive downstream, no matter the size of the business, it's going to have huge downstream effects. But if the business is really big, $10,000 is nothing. Mm -hmm. What's really big? Because that's a huge spectrum. Yeah, that's true. I shouldn't even say really big. It's not even really big. It's still small to medium-sized businesses. Yeah. You know, if they had 500 employees and you fix something that's going to affect the entire business, $10,000 is nothing. Nothing. You need to be trustworthy and credible and known for this. And that leads to the second problem with moving from the second tier to the top tier, the middle tier to the top tier, is that if you are perceived as an execution person, if you're perceived as someone who builds the building, puts the windows in, lays the foundation, all that stuff, you are not the kind of person that people are going to go to for a blueprint. It's not your area of expertise. You're a hands person. You're not a brains person. Now, I'm not saying there's no brains or creativity or anything like that in the building process. There are. There's lots of lots of it. But it's not building a new status quo. It's a different kind of of creativity where you're you're it's really creative. It's like you are literally coming up with how are we going to reach this new status quo? It's very high level. And the and the problem with keeping a foot in both worlds is that the build stuff is so tangible. And so easy to wrap your head around for your clients to wrap their head around that it's much easier for them to pigeonhole you as a builder and not a strategic thinker. So it's really hard to have a foot in both worlds, really hard. So moving from one to the next is really hard. And I will say in my coaching program, every time I've gone through this transition with someone, they have to nuke all references online to the execution stuff, even if they still do it. They have to scrub their LinkedIn and their website and all of their social media, all of their marketing of any reference to execution work. And only then will they start actually getting clients who believe that they're strategic thinkers. They'll go through a strategy and oftentimes the client will say, boy, it would be great if you could help us execute this strategy. And then you can have that conversation if you want to, but it's behind the scenes. You're not leading with that in your marketing. So it's, so those are two tricky things. Your business model doesn't reward you for doing it. You don't have a product set up for it. And it's really hard to do two at once. So the transition is tricky. So in the interest of time, we'll have to have you back to finish this because there's, Mm -hmm. we're just getting to the good stuff. So what needs to shift in the business model 
And I'm trying to think of like a specific package because I, I think most CPAs aren't thinking about, and most of them don't, most of them don't offer things like a one-day workshopping session where we determine your objectives and your strategy. And mm-hmm. we have all the we have access to all the numbers, and we're going to run projections and scenarios, and we're going to figure out if we execute on strategy A, that's probably most likely to result in these this range of scenarios, whereas yep. strategy B, most likely to result in this range of scenarios, and then we can evaluate and we can mm-hmm. help you know help lay out the plans and understand the financial implications. Yeah. So I I don't think they have that um, like that business model that package that offering, even. Mentally, right. Much less being able to offer it, um, being having it visible to the outside world. So, right. can you comment on sort of making that transition from like you call me and you ask me, tell me what you need, and I just do it for you, right? To actually coming out with pre-designed packages. Sure. So there's a leap of faith here that anybody would call you to talk about that at all. The way the way that it generally happens in reality, at least in software, is that you're you're working with a client on a project and they know you really well. They're, they're exposed to you quite a bit on a project, the middle tier. They, and so they, they know more stuff about you than you know. Like they, they see what's really special independent thinking or they see that you're a strategic thinker, even though that's not the engagement. That's not what you're doing. And they recognize this in you. They trust you because you're already doing a great job of this other thing. And they pull you into a meeting about something else completely. So they say, listen, I know you're building this website for us or whatever, but you're really smart cookie. And we've got this initiative around moving into the healthcare space. And we don't know what we don't know about HIPAA compliance. Would you mind sitting in a, in a meeting with the CEO? And so now normally you've been dealing with maybe the CIO or the CTO or the director of IT. Now you're getting pulled into a meeting with the CEO like fireworks should go off in your head because you're increasing your altitude they are pulling you up. So you say yes to this meeting, no matter what, you don't even talk about money. It's going to be free because this is your foot in the door. You go into that meeting and maybe you can't help. You don't go in all cocky. Like, yeah, 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 I'm an expert. You just go in and you're like, I don't know if I can help, but I'm happy to try, you know, I can give you my feedback or whatever. And that will be your first exposure probably to a higher level altitude strategic kind of thing where they're, they'll be asking things like, we're thinking about going into healthcare, into this healthcare space, but we don't know what we don't know about compliance issues. What should we worry about? Where would you look? And you might be like, oh, actually, I, and that's it. That's the extent of their knowledge. And you're like, wow, I don't know everything about this, but I know a lot more than these people do. I at least know where to look. Or I might, you might know who the experts are, who they should actually be introduced to because you're not ready to to plan this out with them or even, even brainstorm it with them. Uh, but that's, that's the beginning of it. That's the feeling of it happening to you. The thing that uh, another one that comes up is like, we're deciding, we're trying to decide between two huge new objectives. Should we expand into Europe with our existing business or should we expand into a different vertical in the United States with our, with a new business? And it's like, if you're, I mean, if you're, if your listener is not capable of answering these questions yet, then that's fine. They're not ready to start to offer these higher level things, but that doesn't mean you can't learn how to do it, do it with smaller clients, educate yourself, get some experience with it, get some confidence with it and start to package up something like that. So maybe it's, uh, you know, and it might, it's not going to look like it'd probably be different. I'm sure it would be different for CPAs. Like the example I'm giving would be different, but you can imagine 
people at the highest level of the business trying to make a huge decision. And if you get pulled in as an expert, which I would imagine would be pretty common with CPAs, and then you see that as an independent thing, and it happens to you one, two, three times, maybe you get testimonials from these times that you did do it for free. And you get those testimonials, you've got some confidence that you can actually help, and then you create an offering that is appropriate for whatever those engagements were. Maybe it's a half-day strategy workshop. Maybe it's an ongoing advisory retainer, but it's just advisory. You're not doing any books or whatever, or that's a separate thing. It's kind of hard for me to put words in, in or put ideas in people's heads for a different space from what I'm in, but the common things would be some sort of one-time, you know, half-day to a two-day workshop or some sort of brainstorming session that uh, would involve all the decision makers at the at the client company. Maybe it's just the owner and it could be half day. Maybe it's a whole board of directors and it needs to be two days, but something like that. And you just price the thing like you would price a training session, you know, price it like whatever, 10,000, 50,000, 2,000, whatever you want, you know, and, and sell that as an independent thing. And at the end, if they say, yeah, you know, could you help us execute this? Or, and you could say yes or no. And if you say no, you say, no, I won't execute it, but I will oversee the people that execute it if you want me to make sure it stays on the rails. And so these are all different offerings that you could create that that would not be by the hour. The whole point is none of this can be by the hour. You're just shooting yourself in the foot if it's by the hour. Yeah. And so succinctly here, just to for the listener to think about going up to the headwaters and understand the value that you can create that then flows downstream and price accordingly. And I love that you just, you know, price it at $10,000, no big deal, right? And the the mental switch that I that needs to happen, I think for a lot of listeners is like, oh, I can do what now? But that's for another time. I want to get to this question of titles and I, how you identify yourself. Because titles have something of a gravitational force, right? Like MD, Esquire, yes. John, Jacob, Jingleheimer, Smith III, you know, <laughs> your royal highness. People are reluctant to give up their titles once they have them. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear your perspective, your take on, on how having a title sort of gets in the way of people shifting, morphing how they see themselves. Yep. Yeah, it's a big idea. It can be a big identity shift, which can be a problem. So if you are used to saying, I'm a builder, or I'm a carpenter, or I'm a CPA, or I'm a developer, and you want to shift up an altitude, you need to stop saying that. And that if that's your identity, and that's what your peers all say they are, uh, or those are the groups and communities that you're in, it's it's difficult. It can take time, you know, and it might be that you start doing some of these strategic things kind of back channel behind closed doors. Like I described where people are pulling you in to ask you these higher level uh, questions. So like you said, you talked about the Saturday emails, maybe you get the Saturday email and one of them is clearly this kind of thing that you and I are talking about. It's a big picture upstream decision. And maybe instead of answering it over email, you say, you take it a little bit more seriously and you say, Bob, this is a great question. And I, I appreciate you inviting my mind into the mix on something that's going to affect your business in such a profound way, potentially. I don't want to do this over email. Let's meet or let's have a phone call on Monday or whenever. Let's set up a phone call and really think this through because this is, this is, could be make or break. 
you know, this could be a really big, just take it seriously and start to, to um, create the structure of the delivery of this kind of thing. So you're kind of like, it's like R&D almost. You're sort of like making the product without selling the product. But what it's doing is it's creating uh, confidence in you. It's giving you some structure to be like, wow, this is this very intangible thing that seems fake. It seems like I'm not really working because I didn't touch QuickBooks. It feels like not, it feels too easy. It's yeah, it does feel easy because it's based on your expertise that you've been building up over five, 10, 20 years. So it should be easy. So you get into this, you create a little structure and guess what? If you start to deliver results using this thing that you're doing as a favor for your best clients, then you're going to start to get testimonials that reflect this altitude. So you're going to have confidence and demonstrable results. And then you can say, all right, this is ridiculous. I, you know, I really should be doing this thing. And then it's like, then this is question. Am I still a CPA or my business consultant? Or, you know, do I need to change the name of this thing? Do I start a side business that has a separate website where it's just me and it's not the whole firm? These are all, these are all strategic decisions, right? So like it, they're, they're hard and they do, as you, as you brought up, they do key into your identity and it can take time for you to see yourself as a consultant, which maybe you have a negative association with instead of an accountant. Or, or whatever. And maybe you need to drop those initials after your name because they imply the, that you're a builder and not a strategic thinker. So yeah, it's hard. Ooh, that's going to be tough for some people to swallow because yeah. those initials can mean a lot and they confer some amount of respect and so on. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned it twice here already, and I want to pick it up with this last question, the word confidence. Mm. How? What role does confidence play in all this? Yeah, I get this a lot. So I don't think confidence is required if you have courage, which is not the same thing. To me, confidence is defined as knowing it's something's going to work. Like uh, there's lots of, you know, there, there, if you, if I, and I have looked this up in the dictionary, there are actually a lot of really different definitions of confidence, but the one that you're talking about in the, the way that you're talking about it and people say to me, how are you so confident? I'm not that confident. I'm really not because to me, confidence is like, like feeling sure that some bet that I'm going to make is going to work. You know, some, some business move I'm going to make is going to work. I don't know. I just don't care, which is not the same thing as confidence. I shouldn't say I don't care, but I'm willing to roll the dice. You know, it's not, it's different than confidence. So if you think like confidence is kind of like believing you're not going to fail. Courage is acting in spite of fear. It's different than bravery. Bravery is not feeling the fear and just being a dope you know, just like running into battle. Courage is knowing the risks, but doing it anyway, or feeling the fear and doing it anyway. So I think courage is much more important than confidence. I, I Honestly, I think confidence is phony. You can't know that it's going to work. Everything's a bet. So if you have confidence and if you have uh, initiative, so you're, you're willing to try new things, even though you know they might not work, I, th I think that's more important experiment, be like a scientist, you know, scientists aren't confident that the hypothesis is going to prove true, but they have a process for experimenting and, and they can slowly move toward the desired outcome. So, yeah, so it might be that you're using them a word that you don't mean. It might be that you're not asking about confidence. You're asking about courage, but if you just, if everyone listening, just, just remember, yeah, it might fail. 
But really, if you look at the bet that you're making, whatever the whatever the objective is and whatever your strategy is, there's going to be some sense of risk. But really think through how dangerous is this for my business? Is this a catastrophic bet? You know, is this a bet the business bet? If so, then don't do that. I would never recommend somebody to do that unless they were like 20 and had, you know, no kids and dogs and wives and stuff. So, you know, if you're fine, if you're a youngster and you can live on somebody's couch, then yeah, make a bet the business bet. You barely have a business. But I'm not suggesting that anybody does a bet the business thing. But when you're trying new things or you have an idea that you might want to try a hypothesis you want to test to maybe start reaching out to your best clients and saying, let's have a pro bono. Let's meet. We don't usually do this, but let's meet. I want to talk to you about the bigger picture business stuff and just put yourself out there, extend your hand and see if they shake it. What's the risk? You know, what's the downside? What's the likelihood that that is going to go poorly? What is the likelihood that they're going to say no? And what is the impact if they say no? I would, I would say it might feel very scary, but the likelihood of your best client saying no to that is probably pretty low. And the likelihood of it, if them saying no, the impact is like zero. So there's nothing to, there's nothing to even be afraid of. Yeah. You, and you already have the same result anyways, if you don't ask, yeah, you're which, already is, there. which is not a meeting. <laughs> right. You already don't have a meeting. Exactly. That's, and especially for CPAs, the most business owners are going to welcome that question. I wish my CPA would. Right? Yeah. So, and this is where, and you and I have talked about this and we have to wrap it up right after this, is that the there's so much latent value that is untapped in this space. And that's, I think, where it all begins is having the question, let's, do you want to talk about the higher level picture and objectives of your business? 100%. The, mm-hmm. the takeaway, I think, from among multiple, but if you're going to turn this into action, listeners, dear listener, as Jonathan likes to say, is to find your top five clients and go out and ask them if they want to have a meeting to talk about the direction of the business and the strategy. Mm-hmm. So Jonathan, it is always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for coming on the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Anytime. Love to. Did this year's tax season nearly kill you? Do you desperately want to be somewhere different a year from now, but you feel overwhelmed and lost about what to do to change things? The next time you find yourself wondering what to do, head over to SheThinksBigCoaching.com to check out the results clients get from working together. Then take the next small logical step and subscribe to my Daily Drip newsletter. You'll get one easily digestible tip a day on how to position your business, how to price services, and how to sell outcomes so that you can be more profitable, get your time back, and get off the tax hamster wheel for once and for all. That URL again is shethinksbigcoaching.com. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Registration is open now, but it won't be for long. Go to GeraldineCarter.com now to enroll today.